Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Good morning, church. All hail King Jesus, amen. We are thankful for you being here this morning. If you're a guest here, we just, we're so thankful that you uh, are here and to worship with us. And hopefully your heart's been primed now to respond to the word of the Lord. So if you have a copy of God's word, I want you to grab it, open it up to the New Testament letter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're gonna be this morning. As you're doing that, I thought it was important this morning to kind of just start with just a, a simple word to what we're seeing going on over in Israel. It's reported that escalating violence over the last several weeks has led to hundreds killed, thousands injured, a number of terrible things happening to uh, bystanders, people not involved in the conflict. And I know that can be sometimes somewhat controversial to even speak to some of these things, but I, I just want to speak to the reality that What's going on over right now in Israel is much bigger than Hamas in Israel. It's much bigger than Palestinians and Jews. It's actually a reflection of what's taking place right now in the spiritual realm where evil forces of heavens are battling the Lord and his heavenly armies. But we don't need to be afraid. But we do need to grieve, we do need to pray. Psalm 122.6 says that we are to pray for the well-being of Jerusalem. In Galatians 6, it says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And so this morning, I just want to take a moment and pray for peace in Israel. Peace to the one who said to a storm, peace be still, and the storm stilled. That's who we pray to. So I just want you to join me as we pray to start our service this morning. Father God, it tells us in scripture that when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what to say, we look to you. And so God, we're praying this morning for the conflict, not just in Israel, but all over the world as there are battles and wars, rumors of wars, things that create uncertainty, concern, fear, God, we're praying for peace. We're asking you, the God of all peace and comfort, to provide that protection for the innocent. We ask that you comfort those who are suffering, that you continue to make ways for resources to be able to get to those who are in need. But God, our faith is not in military strength or government. Our faith is in you. And so we ask that you would help us trust you even when we feel overwhelmed and scared. God, I pray that you would fill us with your peace. And I pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen. Uh, there have been some of you this week who've uh, been asking us pastors on staff, kind of how is what we're seeing going on in that part of the world impact and relate to the Bible, Revelation, end times. And so we do have a couple of resources that we would recommend. One of them is just this little book called The Prophecy Answer Book by David Jeremiah. It is a uh, easy, quick read that has a lot of great uh, information just about what we're seeing and what it all means in regards to what the Bible says. And so we've ordered some extra copies of those. Those should be here this week. If you'd like a copy, you can call the church office and pick up one. But 
Um, we, we know that uh, God is in control, amen? And that kind of leads us into our message today that uh, when I felt the Lord kind of leading me to preach on 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it, it was really had nothing to do with what we see going on in Israel, but I think it's timely. Because oftentimes when we are in seasons of hardship, when we are facing things that are scary, things that are overwhelming, when, when we are going through things and we don't know what to do, we don't know, we don't actually see how God could actually intervene. I mean, it doesn't make sense to what we're experiencing in our emotions and in our intellect. It is really easy for us in those times to comfort one another with the promises of scripture, amen? I mean, that's what we're called to do. We see this. This is a good thing for us to, to use the word of God to provide insight, provide knowledge, provide understanding, provide comfort, provide truth. Jesus did this when he was here. As he began to tell his followers what was going to happen after he would leave, until he would return. He talked about the, the chaos and the persecution and the things that we were gonna see going on in this sinful, broken world. And he says this in John 16, he says, I've told you these things so that in me, you would have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous for I have conquered the world. So Jesus is offering the truth of his word to his people say, this is what I want you to remember when things get chaotic. Paul's instruction in 1 Thessalonians 5 encourages us also to share scripture in times of uncertainty, conflict, hardship, and persecution, where he says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. And so you'll hear us talk about the gospel being the key to everything, Christ being central to all things. You'll hear us talk about words like grace and mercy, but here's the problem. There are times where you and I can share those truths or we can share these words. We can talk about God's grace. And we can talk about the gospel. And, and while those things are true, we might have somewhat of a knowledge of what those things mean. They don't necessarily bring comfort or relief at that moment. Sometimes we can actually feel like someone is saying those things in an insincere way where people are just kind of speaking that truth to us, but it doesn't really seem to be what we need in that moment. But comfort doesn't come from the statements we make from God's word. Comfort comes from the substance behind the words, amen? It's not the words themselves, it's what those words represent. See, the gospel is so true, it's so great, and there's so much hope in it, but it's what the gospel is. It's the substance of the gospel that actually gives us hope. It's the substance of words like grace and mercy that give us hope. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is just take a few moments together to examine one of the promises that has been shared by believers throughout the centuries in times of hardship and consider the substance behind the statement. And it comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses six through 10. So hopefully you found your way there. And if you would join me by standing as we read God's word this morning, 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse six, reading through verse 10. If you're ready to receive God's word this morning, say ready. ready. This is the word of the Lord. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth, but I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that he would leave me. 
that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you believe that's true? It is. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer once again? Father God, we come to you again. We, we pause to pray, to talk to the living God and ask for your help as we unpack this passage, God. Would your Holy Spirit give us understanding? Would you use it to stir our affection for you or to lead us to confess and repent of something that might be getting in the way of us understanding your perfect and timely word? God, guide us now. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. The promise that I want us to consider this morning and kind of look at the substance of the promise is this idea of the sufficiency of God's grace. The sufficiency of God's grace. Because here's the promise that, that Paul is highlighting here, that in times of hardship and affliction, God's grace is sufficient. But here's the challenge once again, it's that we can hear someone say that we're going through a hardship, we're, we're going through an unexpected loss, something in life has changed. There's something that is causing us to fret or to worry. And another believer who, who loves the Lord and loves us is trying to encourage us and say, hey, God's grace is gonna be sufficient. And in the moment, that is an absolute truth statement. But sometimes if that's all they say and we don't know the substance behind the statement. It might feel like, thanks for saying that, but it, it doesn't necessarily help me. I don't know if that's ever been the case for you. And so what I want us to be able to do is not only perceive it, how do we perceive the presence of God's sufficient grace, but understand how to participate it? What does God's grace look like? How is it sufficient? The context of this passage is important. In 2 Corinthians, Paul has been writing a letter to these people who he cares deeply about. He shared the gospel there. there. There have been many people that have come to faith. And then as he left and continued to move on in his missionary journey, his credibility as an apostle of Jesus Christ was challenged. In fact, there are many imposters that were trying to uh, dissuade people from following what Paul taught. And so he's writing the second letter to try to kind of defend himself. And you can, you can kind of read, if you read the first part of chapter 12, he, he hates having to talk about himself. He doesn't want to talk about himself. He wants to talk about Jesus Christ. But in some ways he feels like he's having to defend himself. And so he talks about this encounter that he had, that he's speaking as, as a validation of his call as an apostle, that God has done some things in his life that have been intentional to help him fulfill his calling. And there was this moment where God took him up and, and, and allowed him to look into heaven, look into paradise for just a moment. And it says he saw and heard things that were just inexpressible by human words. And, and, he, and when he comes back and he, he comes back to, he's, says he receives this thorn in the flesh. There's lots of debate by church commentators on what that thorn in the flesh was. Was it just oppression from other people or was it a physical ailment? Something that just was kind of a chronic pain. But it says that God allowed him to have this thorn in the flesh in order to keep him humble. In order to, to, to not exalt himself is what it says here. And three times he asked the Lord, Lord, would you please relieve this? Would you please take this away from me? This is, this is painful. This is harmful. I, I don't enjoy this. And it says that the Lord responded with this true statement. My grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul's testimony here in 2 Corinthians 12 is meant to inspire our confidence in the sufficiency of God's grace. A few years ago, I was with a friend and we were uh, going to visit some people and and they had an idea to take us to a certain type of restaurant. But my friend said, no, we're not gonna do that. That's the kind of friend he is. He said, hey, I want you to get on Yelp and I want you to find the best place in this area, the place that has the highest rated stars for tacos. That's where we're gonna go to lunch. I'd never used the app Yelp, but I'm like, all right. So I went in and I, I looked up and there's these stars, there are all these reviews and like five stars means it has a lot of great reviews and then less stars mean maybe some good reviews, maybe some not so good reviews. And so we found a five-star taco place in this part of the country and it was on the outside looking in, a scary place to go inside. A place that I wouldn't have just driven by, go, I wanna try that place sometime. But true to what the reviews said, When we went inside, we ordered the food. It was some of the best tacos we ever had. Now, these apps that are out there that have reviews are there to help us to have confidence and then what we're going to experience is actually going to be good. What Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians 12 is when he's talking about the sufficiency of God's grace and how that impacted his life, I think it's meant here to inspire our confidence that when we too are going through hardships, that we can trust in the sufficiency of God's grace that we can know what to expect when we're going, how God's going to meet us in the mess, how he's gonna meet us in the hardship. Paul is not simply relaying a statement. He's highlighting the substance, the provision of sufficient grace. So what is sufficient grace? Let's just take a moment to talk about these two words because you may be new to church. Grace is a word that's commonly used by Christians because it's all throughout the scriptures. Grace literally just means undeserved favor. It's something that's given to someone that they could not earn by someone who did not have to give it to them and they give it because of love. It's undeserved. But when we talk about grace, biblical grace is not limited to just mere affection. Like I, I, wanna, I, I feel favorable towards a person and I, and I care for them, but it's also linked to resource, both physical and spiritual. Philippians 4 verse 19 says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All of your needs, your physical needs, your spiritual needs, all of that has been secured. All of that is gonna be taken care of in Christ Jesus. It's not something God is obligated to give. He doesn't have to show us grace. He doesn't have to meet our needs. He doesn't have to provide for us, but he chooses to do so because he loves us. He chooses to do so, and when he does it, he does it generously and in abundance. One pastor, B.B. Warfield, put it like this, grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. That's grace. That's what it means. But Paul here says that the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient. That word is intentional. Sufficient means to be enough, to be adequate, to satisfy, or to make one content. One dictionary defines sufficient as enough to meet the needs of a situation or a proposed end. I love how the Amplified Translation of the Bible translates this word. It says, if it's sufficient is adequate against any danger and enables you to bear the trouble bravely. 
My grace is sufficient. The things that I'm going to provide for you, both spiritually and physically, are going to meet you where you're at and it's going to be enough. It's gonna be adequate. It's gonna allow you to go through the hardship bravely, confidently, because your confidence will not be rooted in you and what you can provide and the solutions you can come up with. It's going to be provided in Christ alone. So how is God's grace sufficient? Well, Paul kind of highlights some things here that I think inform us of why it is sufficient. Look at verse nine again. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Three things we see here that help us answer how God's grace is sufficient. How what God provides to us in those moments of hardship is enough. The first thing we see here is that God's grace is guaranteed by Christ's finished work on the cross. What he offers us is guaranteed because of what Christ has already done for us. It says, my grace. Now, if you know, uh, in some of your translations, they will have the words of Jesus in red. And some of the translations actually have this statement in red saying that it's Christ that's speaking here to Paul. What's being said here is that the grace being offered is guaranteed to be there when you need it. So I don't know if you've ever had people say, hey, if you ever need something, just call me. And then you call and they're not there. Or you say, hey, if you, if you need this, you can borrow it. And they, they, they call me, oh, I don't have that anymore. Or hey, I'm using, I can't let you borrow that right now. You're in that part where it's like, man, I'm struggling. And I went to the people that said they'd be there and they weren't there. What the Lord promises those who follow him is that his sufficient grace will always meet them in the mess. Because Christ has accomplished the resource. He's guaranteed it. He's secured it through his death, burial, and resurrection. And this grace that he gives us is sufficient because it's not earned. It's not something that we've created or we've secured, but it's offered freely because of his grace. He offers this resource to us through faith in the gospel alone. John chapter one, verse 16 says, indeed, we all have received grace upon grace from his fullness. God's grace is sufficient because of what Christ did for us. Uh, a few years ago, uh, my wife and I had opportunity to, we were gifted a trip by my sister and by my mom to go to a, a place that was an all-inclusive place. So we went there and it was, we didn't, we didn't, had never been there before, but once we got to this hotel, it was a beautiful hotel. It had a number of different places to eat and it had some nice places to just rest and, and, and lie by the ocean. And it was, a, it was a great place, best vacation we've ever taken. And what was really cool is that when we got there, it was like, there was nothing else we needed to do. Like, there was a couple of different restaurants and we just, we go there and we wanna eat and then never, a bill never came. Uh, any kind of the activities or resources that were on the property, we wanted to participate, we just participate. If I were to take money out of my pocket and try to pay the person for it, they would say, no, you can't pay me for this. There's nothing to be paid. It's already been covered. It's all inclusive. That is what grace is. What we are offered through Christ is all inclusive. There's nothing more that we could do to earn it. There's nothing more that we can do to receive it. He just says, it's, it's in me. If you place your faith in me, my grace is sufficient. My grace is what you get. And it has been guaranteed because it's already been accomplished and secured to the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
God's grace is sufficient because it has sourced in something supernatural. That's the second point this morning. It says here, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. God's grace is sufficient because it's supernaturally sourced. He says, my power. You see, you and I, when we are struggling, we're going through a hard time or we're in a season where we maybe are not directly being impacted, but the ideas and the, the chaos and the issues that are going on around us are causing us to feel overwhelmed or anxious or begin to worry. In those moments, we're not left to face those hardships with our own strengths, with our own abilities and with our own resources. We have his power available to us. If you've ever done any kind of do-it-yourself projects around the house, you've learned probably that there is value in having the right tools to do the project. There was one time when I tried to replace the, the, the patio, the paper patio in my backyard. It was, had kinda, it was built on sand. And so all the different pavers had kind of gotten uh, off through just water and erosion. And so I was told, hey, to do that right, you're gonna have to lay down some gravel and you're gonna have to lay down some sand. There's a process to make it to where the rain can come, but it's gonna stay level. And so I'm like, great, let's start doing this. So what did I do? I grab a shovel. I start shoveling dirt. I start moving this dirt out of the way. Then I call the, the gravel company. I say, hey, can you dump off yards and yards of this kind of gravel in my driveway? They say, sure. So they came and they dump it in my driveway. And I have a friend come over and he said, you understand that all that gravel has to replace all that dirt. And where are you going to put all that? How are you going to move that? Oh, I'm just going to do it by hand. He kind of just started to chuckle. He's like, that's going to take you forever. I didn't know, I was just trying to do it myself. That's what Home Depot tells me I can do, do it yourself. And so I'm just gonna like start shoveling and it's gonna be good. I'm gonna get, you know, fit, it's gonna be great. I realized how long, I mean, I could work for hours and I wasn't hardly making a dent in this until I had a friend who had a little tractor come over and in the course of like 20 minutes, his little scoop picked up all that gravel, moved it around my house, the backyard, moved all the other dirt and it was done. Having the right tool when you need it the most matters. Jesus said there's going to be trouble, trouble. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be hardships that we're going to face. And he didn't say, okay, and so do your best. Just try to hold on. He said, you're going to face unexpected loss. You're going to face moments where you feel weak and you can't even pick yourself up. You're going to get so discouraged and overwhelmed. There's going to be times where you trip yourself up. You make mistakes. You sin. And in those moments, my grace will be sufficient. My grace will meet you in the mess. And my grace is not like your power. My grace is full of my power, that it's at work in you through the Holy Spirit. It's not limited by physical obstacles or restricted to spiritual realities. First John 4, 4 says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God's grace is sufficient because it's supernaturally sourced. It is qualified, it is enough, it is adequate to meet you in every moment because it is supernatural. And yet so many times in life when things start to break down around us and, and things get chaotic, we look to ourselves, we look, we look this way for a solution rather than this way. God's grace is sufficient because it's supernaturally sourced. But one more thing we see here in verse nine is that God's grace is sufficient because it's available when we need it most. It says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected 
and weakness. It's a perfect fit for whatever we are facing. What God offers us in those moments when we're scared, frustrated, discouraged, offended, is perfect because it's perfected in weakness. I love what it says in James when it says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives all to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. This is a great passage of what, one of the resources of God's grace that when we are in a struggle and we need wisdom, it says, ask God and he gives you grace abundantly. He will give you his wisdom in those moments when you're like, I need help, I need clarity, I need direction. He says, ask me and I will give you wisdom and I will do so generously. But I love that second word ungrudgingly. You know what that means? I'm going to give it to you without insult or reprimand. I can come to you over and over. Even if I've squandered his wisdom in the past, even if the predicament I find myself in is self-inflicted, he says, I will continue to give you wisdom. Why? Because it's undeserved. It flows out of my character. It's grace. And I'm going to give it to you if you will ask. God's grace is sufficient because it's available when we need it most. It's always the right kind of resource. It's always the right amount of a resource. It's always at the right time. That's what makes it sufficient. That's what makes it enough. That when we go to God in our weakness and we ask for help, he has just what we need. There's a beautiful picture of this in John chapter eight, where this woman is caught in adultery and she's dragged out into the city square and she's, she's being used to try to trap Jesus by these religious leaders. Many of you know the story where, where Jesus doesn't fall for their tricks and basically tells them whoever has no sin cast the first stone. And they all, all the accusers begin to go away and then it's just this woman and Jesus standing there. And here we see this beautiful picture of grace and truth. Where Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she says, they've all left. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Beautiful picture of of the kind of grace that is available when we need it the most. Was this woman sinning? Yes. Would it be justified to punish her for her sin? Yes. What does God show her? Grace. But he doesn't let grace cover the truth because Jesus was full of grace and truth, 100% of both. He says, I don't condemn you, but don't go on sinning. God's grace is sufficient because it is perfected. It is shown the most com- in the most complete form in our weakness. These three truths about God's sufficient grace are what inspires optimism for us during the struggle. Look what it led Paul to say. He says, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. When Paul began to understand what grace is, when he understood the sufficiency of that grace, it actually inspired optimism that I can go through a hardship. I can go through a struggle. I can be in a season of weakness and I don't have to fret or fear like someone who has no hope, who is not connected to God, who has to completely rely on their own abilities. I can have confidence that there's one greater than me that is working to meet my needs, to protect me, to go before me. And that grace that he offers me is free and abundant It's guaranteed because of Christ's finished work on the cross. It's supernaturally sourced and it's gonna be there when I need it the most. 
do you see how God's grace is sufficient? Do you see how Paul said that? He says, once you understand it that way, it changes how I view hardship. It, chooses how, it changes how I view times of insecurity. But what does it look like then in real life? I think this practice to actually consider what sufficient grace looks like in real life is so important because we have to understand the substance behind the statement. We have to understand like, what is it then? What does grace look like? Because that helps me hold on to it. It helps me understand it. Now understand if God just said, hey, trust me, and he didn't give you any evidence or any explanation of what that would look like, we, we should still trust him, amen? There are gonna be times where he doesn't answer every question that we have, or he doesn't give us complete understanding. But he has been so good to us to give us his word that helps us understand on a greater level the substance behind the promises, the substance behind the statements. Verse 10 kind of gives us a picture then of what we can expect. What does sufficient grace look like in those moments? It says in verse 10, so I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says that when I'm weak, I take pleasure in that. Why? Because I find strength when I'm weak. It can be physical, can be, it can be spiritual. Remember, God's grace is not limited to one or the other, it's both. This word here, weakness, means in moments of incapacity, illness, or insecurity, when I can't do it on my own, he meets me there. Isaiah says this, he gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. But he also says that this grace looks like identity when I face insults. He says, when, I, when I'm Facing weakness, I take pleasure in that. When I face insults, I take pleasure in that. Why? Because my identity is not going to be defined by somebody else. It's going to be defined by Christ. I have an identity. This identity that Paul had in Christ was supernatural. Because remember, Paul is a guy who had persecuted the church. He had actually had a season of his life where he was putting Christians, those who followed Christ, those who were teaching the gospel, he put them in prison. He watched them be murdered. And yet then God calls him. And instead of his identity being, who are you, Paul? Why are you saying all these things? And go, well, because, because I have a lot of intellect, because I was born into the right family, I have a good education, because I want to do this. No, his identity was firmly rooted in being called by the Lord. We have an identity in Christ because of his grace that can't be touched by our sins and is not improved by our accomplishments. Our identity is firmly rooted in Christ. So when you're insulted, when somebody comes and says, hey, I saw you do this. Yeah, I, I sinned, but God's grace is more. Hey, I saw you do this awesome thing. Man, you, you're so talented, you're so great. Hey, God allowed me to do that because his grace is sufficient. Romans 8, 1 says that therefore there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When people try to come at you because of your past mistakes, whether that be human people or the enemies throwing those spiritual warfare darts trying to condemn you, make you feel guilty, make you feel unworthy of God's love, unusable for his service. When insults come, sufficient grace says, I give you an identity that's greater than those insults because this identity is what's true about you. 
Colossians 1.22 says, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, blameless before him. What sufficient grace is is that when we start to feel guilt and shame for our choices or we start to get stressed out because we don't feel like we have what it takes to meet the demands that are placed in front of us, sufficient grace comes in and says, your identity is not in what you accomplish or what you're going to do or how you're going to fix this. It's in me. Will you let me be your identity? Will you let me work on that? Another way that God's grace is sufficient and what it looks like, it says here, In the face of hardships, I take pleasure. What does grace look like in real life? Well, we receive help when we face hardship. This word hardship is referring to weighty obligations that are on us that we have trouble lifting. You ever feel that? Is there something in your life right now that just feels like a burden that you feel responsible for, but you just do not have the strength to pick it up? You do not know how you're going to fulfill that responsibility. God's grace, his resource for you is help. He will help you with that hardship. Even if the hardship is self-inflicted. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. What does grace look like? Help in the face of hardship. Two more. Grace looks like support when we face persecution. Paul says, when I face persecution, I'm gonna take pleasure in that. Why? Because God's grace is greater than the persecution. Persecution here in the, in the original language means when, times when we're being harassed or oppressed by other people. Paul knew this. Paul had been persecuted greatly after coming to faith in Christ and after being obedient to what God had called him to. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. That's the promise that we have in Scripture. That's what grace looks like, is that we're going to have his support when we face persecution. That persecution can come from following Christ, standing for truth, being in line with the Scriptures. He says, I will help you. I will support you. I will rescue you. Final one, what does grace look like in real life? It looks like comfort when we face difficulties. This is the last statement that Paul says, in difficulties, for the sake of Christ, I will take pleasure. When life feels just overwhelming, we receive comfort from the Lord. How does he comfort us? Through the scriptures, through the body of Christ, through the word of God being spoken to us, from the word of God, by the body of Christ, by the church to us, he comforts us. Second Corinthians 1 says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. In this passage, we see five ways that grace meets us in the real life. Because I think all of these things that Paul is facing, we face maybe in a different way, but we still face these things as human beings living in a broken world. As, as human beings who are 
professing faith in Christ and trying to live in obedience to him, we too will face times of weaknesses, of insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. But what Paul is saying here is the Lord met me in all those things with his grace and he'll do the same for you and I. Why? Because his grace is sufficient. It wasn't just qualified to help Paul out and the apostles out. It was qualified to help out all who would believe. His grace is sufficient. But here's the reality of grace. The sufficiency of God's grace is fully experienced in moments of weakness. Perhaps we don't truly understand God's grace because we haven't realized it in those moments of weakness because we've been so focused on getting out of the weakness, out of the struggle, out of the hardship, out of the pain that we've actually not taken a moment just to see how God is meeting us right there and how he's revealing himself to us in a way that we would never see if everything was always good and positive. There's an amazing statement by Job at the very last chapter of that Old Testament book in Job chapter 42. And if you don't know Job's story, he was a man who God allowed to have everything stripped away because the the accusation was made that the only reason Job was faithful to God was because God had blessed his life. And God said, no, that's not Job's heart. And so God allowed all of everything to be taken from him. His possessions, his wealth, his family, and his health, all gone. And Job stays faithful to God. And he wrestles with what's going on and he tries to make sense of it all. And we read that whole thing. And in Job chapter 42, verse five, he makes this amazing statement. He said, I had heard reports about you. He's speaking about God. I had heard reports about you, God. But now my eyes have seen you. This guy who was righteous, who God said, you can, you can test Job, but he's going to prove himself to be faithful to me because his faith is not rooted in what I've given him. He's rooted in a love for me, a trust in me, a faith in me. This man had that kind of faith in God based on what he had been told. He had received the teachings about God and he believed them. But he says here, there was something now that I know more intimately about you that could only be discovered through hardship, through weakness. God's grace is sufficient. How do we know? Because there's been plenty of believers who have lived before us who have endured the hardship of living in a sinful, broken world. And they attest to the fact that God's grace has always met them there at just the right time, just the right amount, just what they needed. So why focus on grace this morning? Man, there's so much going on in our world. There's so much going on in our city, so much going on in our homes. There's so many things. And as I interact with you and as I just interact with the the, the hardships of living in a broken world in my own life and in my own family, there are so many times where it's easy for us to get overwhelmed and, and to be pessimistic, to become cynical, to just kind of feel like, well, this is just how it goes. And my heart's desire for us this morning is that we would awaken to the reality of God's grace in our lives because it's there, but sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we think of grace as kind of a past tense thing. Yeah, it was amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Yeah, it was gracious. This gift of salvation, it was undeserved. And when I placed my faith in it, man, that was God's grace. But now I'm kind of living my life as if grace was in the past rather than a present reality. Grace should not just be a past tense memory. It should be lived out as a present tense reality in your life. That everything I need for life and godliness has been provided to me through my faith in Christ. 
And even though it might be hard, even though I might feel weak, even though the struggle might be overwhelming and I'm scared, his grace is sufficient to meet me there. He will continue to reveal his love for me, his provision for me, his protection for me. I think sometimes too, we think of grace, not just as a past event, but we, we think of the grace that will show to us when we get to heaven. And yeah, grace will be the thing that allows me into heaven. God's grace, he will forgive me, he'll accept me and I will get into heaven one day. That grace is gonna kick in to effect. But grace won't only be sufficient in the future, it's sufficient today. In his book called The Grace Awakening, Chuck Swindoll said this, having cleansed our heart from the debris of inward corruption and the dust of sin's domination, God is now daily at work, awakening grace within us, perfecting our character and bringing it to completion. We're gonna take communion together. I wanna invite uh, the, the worship team up here. They're gonna lead us in a moment of quiet reflection. And if you didn't happen to get the elements when you came in, if you want those, you wanna slip your hand up, our, our team will come by and hand those to you. But as I was thinking about today being a day where we were gonna take communion together and thinking about this passage about the sufficiency of God's grace, I just see a beautiful connection with what God has done for us. I read a quote this week that said this, love that goes upward is worship and love that goes outward is affection. But love that stoops is grace. That's the love that God showed us. Bible says that when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, Christ died for us. He took on human flesh and he came to earth. He took on a human body so that he could pay the price for sin, which is physical death. And he came to be the perfect substitute for everyone. How did he do that? He lived a perfect life. Why was that important? Because the Bible says that the penalty for sin is death and that everyone is sin. But Christ being perfect, being fully God and fully man, lived a perfect life. So he had no sins of his own to die for. That allowed him to die for the sins of someone else. And being God, he died for the sins of all mankind. He didn't just love us in words. He loves us in action and he shows us his grace by stooping low, to coming down, becoming one of us and dying in our place. And this morning, we get to observe communion together as a reminder of what he did, the body that he allowed to be crucified on that cross, the blood that he allowed to be shed on our behalf. And we are called to do this as followers of Jesus Christ to remember what has already been given, one of the greatest demonstrations of grace. And that inspires us to look forward to the fulfillment of that grace when we are with him forever in heaven. This morning, you might be a guest with us or uh, perhaps this is your first time at church. Don't feel obligated to participate in this. This is something that believers are invited to do that reflects a decision that's already made to follow Jesus, to place their faith in the gospel. But the Bible also tells us this morning that if we are follower of Jesus Christ, we might come into the room this morning needing to kind of deal with some stuff in order to, to really fully direct our heart and our focus on what we're doing. The Bible tells us not to just go through the motions of 
Lord's Supper, but to do it with the right heart. And so I want to invite you this morning, if if you are here and you don't know Christ, he stooped low to provide a way for you to have your sins forgiven, for you to experience his sufficient grace. And today is the day of salvation. If you hear this message and you hear about a God that came in to do something for you that you couldn't do on your own, you want that. You can believe in Christ for your salvation, have your sins forgiven and start that relationship today. But perhaps you've come in this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ and you haven't been walking too closely or there's been worries and doubts or fears or or things that you've done to sin against somebody else. I wanna invite you now in the quietness of this moment before we take communion to consider what it is that you need to confess, what it it is you need to tell the Lord, Lord, I've, I've sinned, I've done these things. God, I'm thankful for your forgiveness. Help me to do what's right moving forward. It's preparing our heart to worship and to thank God for his gift of salvation. His grace is sufficient. His death, burial, and resurrection is the beautiful picture of that. And this morning we get to remember that together. So let's prepare our hearts.